0: excited I am so proud of you Janet uh, Uribe for being on the roller skates
1: oh yeah girl I love to skate I just picked it up 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 again I didn't know if I could do it and only took like six times to be like oh I got this now I can multitask you can do it can you do ladies backwards oh I'm learning I'm gonna I'm girl I'm teaching myself you gotta you can't you gotta teach yourself these things
0: Well, you know, you are the teacher's teacher, and we are going to talk about that on the edge today, about how you are really um, at the forefront of education when it comes to teaching teachers and also giving young people options to learning how to read. It's so important. Now you've got all this artificial intelligence and you've got all of this, uh, you know, where you don't have to write anything. You don't have to do anything, but you still have to speak. You have to know what you're talking about. So learning is very important. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to have you here. I'm looking for my postcard so I can tell the brains where they are. They are on the edge with April Mahoney and Janet Uribe. Awesome. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. I'm excited. I've been waiting for this because I want to talk about what's going on in the world of education. I'm concerned. My father told me once upon a time, he said, baby, they're going to send you to school to be ignorant. Wow. And now they don't want to uh, teach about other cultures. They don't want to teach about sexuality. They don't, they want to alter history. It's just a lot going on in that space. So we're going to get a full circle uh, perspective from you and some things that we can do as parents and individuals to support you in your efforts. Welcome to On The Edge.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so thankful. Yeah, I'm grateful to have you. So tell us a little bit about you and uh, how you show up in the world, Janet.
1: Sure, so I am a teacher by profession technically, but I'm also an intuitive teacher, so I have this unique ability to be in the space of a child and kind of within a few minutes know a lot about what's going on, both emotionally, psychologically, academically, and how it all ties together. So that being the case, I used to be a public school teacher, and it didn't resonate because we kept setting kids forward without having things mastered. And then in addition to that, I noticed that curriculums were limited. We weren't really giving full perspectives of stories. There were a lot of elements that were missing when I was a teacher and it didn't resonate. So I started doing it from home. And then interestingly enough, some years later, I bought a franchise, a well-known franchise in the US and I became one of their top performing stores within a year and a half. And I was told it'd take about five to 10 years, but I did it fast. And I had my staff sit me down one day and say, you know, we gotta tell you something. We think that you're psychic or we think, we think there's more to your story than, because there's just things that we watch you do that we don't see other people do. So what I realized is yes, I'm an intuitive. I just kind of thought everyone functioned like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But ultimately that wasn't the case. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that ended up happening there is I ended up going through an identity crisis. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically I started, you know, at first you start to bring in like five grand a month, then you bring in eight grand. And by the time I started pulling in for, for a company revenue, you're pulling in like $20,000, dollars $120,000 a month. And I had to turn people away from my services. I would get into trauma. I would get into pain. I would get real mad and angry at the educational institution thinking, how could you wrong our kids? How could you do this? Where Where are these people? Why don't they care? Why are they misinforming our kids? Why aren't they teaching them the truth? And I started to really spiral. So what's fascinating is the full circle is over the last few years, I started doing a lot more inner work. And I actually hired um Tammy Demirza, who's one of my mentors, who's been on your show, by the way. She's amazing. Yes. Yes. She's amazing. Um, I hired her to help me through some of these obstacles that I was going through because I knew I had these companies and resources and efforts to actually launch bigger platforms, but I chose just in resistance. And so it was interesting because after a session, we got real deep into it. And I realized that the whole platform of which the drive had come from the driving force behind me wanting to impact education, make changes and show up for children in the world was really based in trauma about how people weren't showing up for me in the world.
0: And about how
1: interesting. Yeah. So it was really based in, you know, I taught myself to read. And when I was about nine, eight, nine years old, Um, my teachers weren't doing it for me. I lived in a, Very uh, predominantly Anglo culture. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of resources to teach English as a second language. My first language was Spanish at that time. And so, you know, the more I was able to pinpoint, holy cow, I was really functioning a lot of my life and daily value from a victimization perspective. And so suddenly, you know, I found myself in what I would call what in Tammy had helped me pinpoint is more of like a spiritual codependence of, you know, I'm here to show up for you guys. I know. So you need me to help you fix these systems. You need me, you need me, you need me. And when I realized, holy cow, I'm out of balance. I'm out of balance. I'm sitting here giving 88% of myself for others and the institution and the new platforms and only 13% in return. So as you develop
0: this and you really kind of find out where you are and you find out what your trauma is, how did you incorporate that into a new business model and a new platform to not only help yourself, but help others with this?
1: Absolutely. Well, what's fascinating is the moment I transitioned out of, I was not only victimizing myself because I created platforms to assist children. I was even victimizing the children feeling like you are being misserviced, you are being misrepresented, you are not being fed what you need. So I had a lot of judgment on it. I think that's really common for some of us as older souls is sometimes we function from judgment and judgment becomes the driving force behind wanting to be of service to to society. But you also have to see how being of service is of service to you. Right. So what do you get out of it as well? So ultimately, um, I started to redesign my platform in more of an offering base, take it or leave it. I don't actually have to have to fix anything for you. There's really nothing to fix. Because if you think about it, the education system as a whole is this beautiful platform, you heard me, that used to have full judgment on it but now I can really see the dichotomy in it and that it actually serves as a place for us to experience the adversity. It serves as a place for us to learn dynamics of how to grow. It, uh, you know, We can learn fake paradigms and identities in the school system that can be projected at us that we decide to take on instead of learning our inner power. So what this did is it changed my entire program to start teaching kids, not just the academics behind the skills that are missing, but how do you reclaim your power how you decide that the adults aren't responsible for who you are, how you are, what you get, how you show up, and how they're not necessarily responsible for your feelings? Well, either. you
0: know you're you know you're treading on thin ice sometimes because you're going to get a lot of a lot of parents now. Um, I don't know what they're thinking, but they don't want their children, or they don't allow their children to be the independent critical thinkers yeah. that the institution designed. I
1: know. agree. I agree with you. And I think that there's a there's a population of kids that will fit in the mainstream that way and will follow within the kid the parents paradigms and belief systems. But I noticed that, you know, with this whole movement of personal development and a lot more adults doing their own work as well and finding their own inner power that that's really more the demographic that I'm starting to get more of is adults who say, listen, my kid is resistance. They are difficult. They are, are, you know, rebellious. They cause problems. They're kicked out of the classroom. They don't want to be here. They're questioning everything we say. So part of my dynamic that I include in my program is parental coaching as well. And we start to really question and go deep into, well, why do we have this need for your child to behave, be or act or show up a certain way? And, you know, I can, I can have control. Hell, that's exactly why. Girl, listen, you said it. Okay, and I hear
0: what you're saying. Uh uh, I had another guest on my show that uh, was really talking about gentle parenting. Mm -hmm. I don't rule with an iron fist, but there are expectations because Mm -hmm. these are pitfalls that I want and bullets that I want my child, my grandchild, my nieces and nephews not to fall into. Oh, Uh A lot of times they, you know, children are rambunctious, they're rebellious. And I say this with love is because they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You're going to tell me that something is okay and it's something good to do. And I want to do it no matter what. And then you end up in a world of trouble. So there has to be a duality there. And I understand that the Mm
1: -hmm. parenting, but I think also children want discipline. Oh, well, I think. You know, and I, beyond discipline, I just call it like consequences, right? Because I think there's punishment, there's discipline, there's teaching kids the dichotomy of, yes, I want you to be this person. I want you to question. I want you to be a free thinker. I want you to be a critical thinker, a logical reasoner. There's many components to it. And at the same time, the parent has this obligation if they choose to to do it, if they choose to take in this obligation. And there's no judgment for that, that that parent that does or does not to actually hold a boundary to their child as well. Because ultimately you do have to prepare them for this society that we're about to walk into, right? So I know a lot of parents that gentle parent, I'll be honest, that's not how I parent. I parent more pragmatically, kind of teaching my kids what they can expect from the current society that they live in. Because who knows, maybe in 2000 years, we are a more peaceful society if we make it that far, right? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. right. Maybe maybe that's a thing. But right now, present day, I do parent by honoring Basically showing up and telling my kids, listen, I know you have feelings and you're entitled to feelings. You're entitled to emotions. You're entitled to lots of things within you that make you who you are. However, at the end of the day, I have to tell you what my boundary is. And I have to tell you what my expectation is. And I have to tell you how I will support you in meeting this for, for our, for our collaborative family and how I will also honor your boundaries. And I will also honor your perspectives but we're gonna challenge each other. And I think that's the piece that we start to forget as parents is the, the kids, the kids themselves came in to be part of our biggest curriculum. So what is your kid themselves? What are they showing you about you? And a big theme that I see regularly, and this is even in the educational system as well, is that we have a lot of conditions for kids and you'll notice that there's a lot more kids coming into this world that have ADHD or autism, and they're not necessarily budging for the institution, but the institution isn't meeting them halfway either to help create those well, emotional they, they don't know,
0: and COVID didn't help.
1: No, exactly.
0: I, my niece works with uh, with special needs children, and she said just, you know, it set them back a year and a half. Yeah. It was yeah. very intense, and parents don't know how to cope. These challenges are... I hate to put things in boxes, but they're considered mental health challenges. And we are still not having the correct conversation because we don't know what we don't know. No, People I agree. Always find children that were always you know, busy, that were anxious, that were you know, disruptive. But there's a lot of reasons for that. That's like my daughter in school, the teacher would say, well, I think Chanel needs to be tested for X, Y, Z. And I said, well, explain to me why. And they said, well, you know, when it comes reading time, you know, she gets up and she's, you know, she's walking around. She's kind of distracted. She's looking at the goldfish. She's doing this. She's doing that. Well, it wasn't because she had a special needs problem. It's because she damn couldn't read. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm putting her in a private school. You don't know what you don't know. My only child. And I'm saying, okay, well, what? I'm not seeing any behaviors that would warrant this. Long story short, she couldn't see the board. But she didn't know how to explain it because she was new to this educational system. And then she could not read as fast as the other children. Well, I put her in a special learning school, cost me a whole lot of money, but they caught her up within six months. So parents, what you have to do is you have to do your investigative work too. Mm -hmm. Administrators and teachers are great, but they see your child maybe six, eight hours a day. You live with your child 24-7. Yeah. observe certain things, take certain notes, ask certain questions, uh, you know, because you don't know as a parent either. And it's a struggle that your c- child keeps getting these notes and the teacher keeps saying this. Well, you know, in some of these classrooms here in California, there's 25, 26, 27 mm-hmm. kids to a class, one teacher. Yeah. A teacher is pouring her resources back into the classroom by buying supplies. There is no extra money for extracurricular programs such as yours to help them elevate their teaching ability to the next level. What do you say to that teacher that's struggling right now?
1: Well, truthfully, friend, a lot of this, if you look at your struggles in general, like let's not even make it about the classroom, right? Because the universe has this, or God has this way of basically projecting to you who you are, where you are, and what you have going on. So the teachers themselves have their own emotional obstacles, their own psychological paradigms and limitations that they're struggling with. And somehow they find themselves in these dynamics with being outnumbered, yet also being responsible for a multitude of situations happening in their class, everything from emotional regulation, behavioral issues, um, disabilities, having to make sure they honor the curriculum that's being requested of them from federal mandates, benchmark standards. So really it's out of Balance, but here's what I'm going to say. I can also look at it pragmatically and just tell you it's out of balance without being in hyper judgment of it, because for the teacher that's struggling, there's actually great empowerment when they start to do their own work and find their own balance within their classroom. But even so, as a collective society, so right, so as a society, do we even there do we even value the need that it it would be there'd be beneficial? It may it may help for us to balance the classrooms with. The number of students to teacher. So that being the case, friend, you know, when I can look back in my own struggles as a teacher too, and I would be easily triggered by a lot of these things in my classroom. If a child came in, was showing me behavioral issues. I could also now today being more intuitive can see where that was my own projected difficulty being sent out and reflected back to me with that child. So today I know how that's actually some of my favorite kids are behaviors.
0: Um, well, I yeah, mean, yeah. again, you, uh-huh. you are really uh, coming at it with a very different approach because a lot of people, not just teachers, um, say pump the brakes. Look, I've had enough. I'm tired. I didn't sign up to be the mass monitor. I didn't sign up to be, uh, you know, the bulletproof shield. Yep. Schools mm-hmm. are different now and there's a lot of homeschool options. So tell me a little bit about your specific program and what you're doing in the world.
1: Sure. In my specific program, so I have two programs currently happening. I have an in-person program where I assess a child, I screen them. But when I'm looking at them, one of the things that I have to start with is their emotional regulation and behavior. So one of the biggest things that I see for kids is that they come to me with this limited mindset of who they are, or perhaps even a skewed perception of who they are. Because I want you to think about this, if a kid struggles, or, you know, they may be struggling, but they have an incredible capacity for intelligence They're here to be great creators, but we start to put them in this box. That is the education system and the education system wants you to sit down. It wants you to perform and create to their, you know, to their desires. And we're not looking at the capacity within the child. So this poor baby in a way is set into an institution where they're constantly told you're not enough. You don't have the value. We can't build your confidence. We can't pinpoint how to fix this for you. We've got a hundred other things going on because we're trying to survive and thrive as teachers and and administrators. So this child starts to actually fall into the system and what I call like a snowballed effect where it actually starts to become a bigger issue, a bigger problem emotionally. So the thing is I meet the emotional need first, and then I build up confidence for a child. Then by building up confidence, I am actually looking at their neurological processing. I'm looking at how do they process information? How many exposures do they need to a certain skill or idea or, you know, grammatical rule before it actually starts to apply to their abilities. And so it's a very scaffolded approach of meeting them where they are and then kind of re helping them re-identify as capable. Mm. Helping them re-identify as confident and then also teaching them what it looks like to make mistakes and how to grow from them and how everything just creates data for us to keep learning from it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the thing is with the school institution, we really have this tendency to put the kids in the system and we want a conveyor belt that puts out a certain human that's productive by the end of it. But meanwhile, you know, if you look at that very baseline of how we're structured as a society to do the conveyor belt to get them all the way to the end and cross the threshold, you know, then we wonder, hey, why don't we have, like, better leaders in this world? Where are the leaders at? Where, you know, they kind of go missing. Well, that's a whole
0: nother podcast.
1: (laughs) Uh, it It really is. So when I show up for the world and when I show up for my kids, I'm thinking of it with the end in mind. Okay. And thinking of it with what kind of adult, what kind of human would be beneficial for this person to become is in, in terms of like being the best version of themselves or the most, in, most capacitated version of themselves to be able now, to show up in this. Now let me
0: ask you a question. Is this a private program that you have? It's is a, is a private a, program. Okay. Yes, so, it it, called, it's, no, so it's not um, assimilated into mainstream or, you know, public schools, a public school children have the option to take this?
1: Not yet. However, I have just started to collaborate with local private um, schools, specifically Montessori schools who are a little bit more open to some ideas. But my goal is, you know, I have started these platforms and I've started selling these programs and I've also been going into small schools, training teachers to understand how important it is for us to scaffold these skills in so that a kid can even feel capable to show up for themselves or another or for what's being asked of them in the classroom. And I'll give you an example. Right now, I have two fifth graders who loathe writing. They loathe writing. So they come in and the very first thing I notice is they don't even hold their pencil correctly. I know that sounds sounds insane, right? Like they don't hold their pencil correctly, but they have awkward grips where the thumb's not engaged. And so if their opposable thumb and their fingers aren't working, writing is actually quite painful for them. But because we're also now in this model of education, where it's like more is more, faster is better, introduce these concepts younger. You know, psychologically, psychologists know that most kids, males, a lot of males, children aren't even ready to read until age seven. Yet in the local school district that I live in, they're wanting the males to be reading by the beginning of kindergarten, about October, November of their kindergarten year. So there's a lot of things that are not developmentally appropriate in the systems that would really match where a child is. So imagine that you get the five-year-old that gets in. And from the second they are five years old, they're already starting to identify as less than their peers, weaker, not as capable. They have to work harder. And what I end up doing is I inherit this kid by the time he's he's 10 years old, his parents are desperate. It's now a behavioral issue at school as well. Right. So once you have a behavioral issue, and that's a very common thing. I have tons of kids that have behavioral or irregulation.
0: Well, um, of course, they want the distraction. They want the attention taken off of whatever it is it's doing, the attention put absolutely. on them, because they are feeling slighted or, again, not enough. Tell us a little bit about the second business.
1: The second business, um, so, again, I said the education is a 2 is a two. Heart platform. Um, I collect data from every child that I work with to basically design um, skills and classes and information for parents, teachers, homeschool parents, or even daycares so that they themselves can start taking a lot of these simple pragmatic lessons and implement them into their classrooms. You know, you know, when you have a kid with ADHD, for instance, um, that is starting to show that ruckus, right? Please don't look at all these other things. And I'm a very intelligent child. So I also am bored to tears in your classroom. A lot of times as the adults or as the educators will try to get bigger than them and basically show them, no, I'm the authority. I am the adult. You must listen to me. This is the expectation. However, what they don't realize is that you've now triggered dopamine and adrenaline within this child. The brain has no attachment to whether the dopamine or the adrenaline comes from a good praising place or a negative reactive place. Mm-hmm. So, but, so what, yeah. So what the child ends up doing is they, well, I, my life is threatened. Let me match the teacher. So mm-hmm. what the teacher does is, oh, shoot. Now my, now I'm threatened and this child isn't listening to me. So they match their energy. And before you know it, you're in a power struggle. So I basically do various courses like this for for teachers to empower themselves for for schools to empower their teachers so that they can see how and there are ways to cope with this, but also there are ways for us to not set more fuel to those fires. because when we're reactive and we're emotive towards external people, you know we're we're basically giving them our power to decide how we're gonna feel as teachers. And then suddenly we're shocked when we've lost 20 minutes of instruction because there's been a mental breakdown in the classroom. So yes, mental health, agreed, mental health mental instruction, meaning human behavior, all of these things are aspects of the classroom that apply, but somehow along the way, it's like our meth, our curriculum continues to advance, and what we want the kids to do continues to advance. But well, and then you also engaged. have all of these other outside influences.
0: You know, I talked to a lot of millennials and a lot of Z- Generation Z. They want information in bite-sized pieces. That's why they love TikTok so much. They don't want the long history of the Civil War. They want to know, you know, all right, who was in it, who won and that's it all of the other nuances it's not attractive to them that is not the way that they are learning their learning is different uh, than it is now you've got this again artificial intelligence ai people are very concerned um but it is the way that the world is going so what it we need to do is we need to learn to uh incorporate that in our lives and use it to our benefit
1: yeah and so but- i that's a long-term goal of mine you know, I don't know when it will happen, I'm, I, but I know it's a long term goal of mine is to build these training systems into AI, because ultimately, if we don't stay up with I want, I want to call it the trend, but it is what's being projected at us in many different it is ways. Here. Right? Yeah, it's I just
0: bought some stock in it, honey. It is here. It's just like the GPS. I told people, I told them about Zoom long before it was, you know, trending. And then they catch it at the tail end. And then they wonder what happened. My mother all the time. Oh, that Facebook and, you know, that computer, it's the devil. It's the devil. Well, it can't be devilish, but also it can be very useful. Could you imagine us going through that pandemic and not having a social media platform, not having a a way to communicate, to get alternative sources of information, it's devastating. So parents, you really need to pour into your children as much as you can. Uh, The field trip. was the best part of school and education for me because you were hands-on you were hands-on with the Native Americans you got to weave baskets with them you got to go out and look at the bugs and the and the trees and the birds and the bees now it is in front of this device and it is computer generated how do we um how do we blend the two how do we make that oh, yeah a, a
1: good marriage I agree well I think we're in a transitional space right so I want you to think about this like just as food for thought You know, humans have been programmed for language for tens of thousands of years. We've been speaking language. We've also been writing language, right? Um, But if you think about it generationally, how many generations in your family lineage have actually been writing, right? Thought to paper. And if you think about that, there's a ton of generations that weren't because, one, there may not have been access to it. Two, it wasn't like fast information. But now we're being asked to become this new human with a digital device, right, that can actually interact with it, perform with it. But this one piece that we haven't given the digital devices just yet is emotion or empathy. So now think about that, right? What does it look like when we get into a classroom? And we do have AI that is teaching the kids to read. There's one program here where I live called iStation that is supposed to teach the kids to read. However, it doesn't really track how they read. It doesn't attract the emotional regulation that's coming forward when they're sat asked to sit down at the device. It doesn't look at the behavior. It doesn't look at the neurological components of the child that require them to actually sh- um, be present at that moment. It's not speaking to their value system. So you know, in terms of AI coming forward, I think it's going to be a thing in the future. I really do, but there's a lot of components that would be beneficial for us as adults to start looking at with AI as well, in terms of what kind of emotion can we possibly replicate in AI? I don't know if I want them filling the fields. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to be able yeah. to unplug you. You know, I don't really like the interaction a lot right now. Again, it's something that is foreign to me. I've got a friend that she absolutely loves it. Her refrigerator talks to her. Oh Lord. You know, Suri, Suri does this and claps this and the lights come on. She's totally into that. I still am into the human being.
1: I'm into the human being too. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, how do we continue to, to implement the human connection? Because like, even when there's so much research, there's so many studies that have shown, like when you put a monkey in a cage, okay. A, a little chimp. And then you give the chimp the option between going to drink from a bottle versus just sitting in another cage that's directly connected to it that has a fake chimp that's in the that's designed to kind of look like its mother the monkey would actually rather go hungry in exchange for being spending time with the connection of another another yeah. chimp right okay. so that being the case there are these human components that are necessary for us to have in connection in order to even thrive so what is the balance, right? And how do we incorporate that, assuming AI is the future? And I think that AI has its place. It's a dichotomy, like you just said about social media. You know, it's probably going to be great for training when we don't have access to certain things or materials or can't get across the country. You know, AI might make various trainings that could help um, someone who would typically have to meet in Germany versus the U.S. save on like preserving our our land longer. Oh, but it's right?
0: doing so much more than that. I don't yeah. know if it's been into. I'm sure that you have been into to chat AI. It is. Yeah, creating, I have. So it is creating uh, uh, information. It is writing letters. It's doing proposals. Mm-hmm. It's doing business plans. It's charting courses. All you have to do is know how to ask the right question. Yes. But with that, if you do not have any experience, if you do not have a want, a need, a desire, uh, you don't even know the question to ask.
1: Oh, that's so true. That's so true. So similarly, what I was getting at, that external connection is what also helps us learn our own internal connection. So as intuitives, as people who are gut, you know, who just make the right choices or happen to have the right thing fall in their lap or have things go a certain way for them, there is a certain level of intuition and gut response that we're existing in that stems from connection. And it stems from asking the right questions. And it stems from knowing yourself So one thing, you know, that I do tell parents, a lot of my kids that come to me are addicted to screens. Mm. They're addicted to screens. So yeah, guess what? The human person that comes in to teach them does not provide the same amount of stimulation that a screen does and it's not fast. So we're putting ourselves in these scenarios that are very competitive in a way, but when the connection is pure. When the love for the child is sincere, when you want to, when a teacher wants to know that kid, when the teacher puts them and their their own value into connecting with the child, that child connects as well.
0: So that's why we have to go back to the basics of self. And yeah. really, what is your intention as a teacher? the The teaching uh, industry or or career uh, is getting pretty lean and mean. You're not yeah. finding teachers that are willing to you know dive in for 10 15 years i saw my second grade teacher i couldn't believe it i saw her oh maybe about two or three years ago and she remembered me she looked right in my eyes and, april how are you and it was miss de roche and she wore this uh perfume called blue water she had the same perfume on she when your teacher hugged you and told you that you got an a on the test and they were proud of you Sometimes it was better than your parents saying that because yeah. you had pleased your teacher, your educator. Um, who pours into you, Janet, outside of Tammy? Because I know she's a
1: she's <laughs> she's great. awesome. Who pours into you? Who keeps you sharp? Oh, friend. Well, I think that's the thing. Like one of the reasons I started doing this originally was for external validation. I knew I was really good at this. I knew I was. Mm-hmm. I saw it. I heard it all the time. I reflected it in my pay and what I could pull in in a short time frame. However, like I was telling you, I've come to this full circle more recently, and this is what's cool about coming to this full circle, is that once I started to pour my warm of myself into me and saying, "You know what? I love what I do, I'm really good at what I do, and I also am worthy of being compensated for what I do in various ways. Suddenly, my business has improved even more. because one, I'm not in judgment, of the kids. I'm not in judgment of the school systems like I used to be because yeah, guess what? We learn lots of adversity there. Tons. Yeah. It Great. has, it's a dichotomy. It has its own purpose, but at the same time, I've been learning. What does it mean to nourish yourself and show up for yourself and do things for you? And the more I've been learning to do that. And I'm in my later thirties learning to do this still. Okay. I'm like, not, I haven't mastered this. I'm still pulling right. it off sometimes juggling right, between, right, right. between mothering and work and so on. Um, the more I'm learning to pour into me, the more I'm growing and the more I'm pouring into me as well. I notice that my own children are showing up for me differently. I notice that my partner is showing up for me differently. I notice that my community is showing up for me differently. So it's funny because I feel like when I was younger, I wanted, and it, start, it started in the education system for me. I wanted others to do for me what I was not willing to do for myself. What was that? accept myself, mm-hmm. love me, spend time with me, connect with me, right? These are my biggest love languages. But the more I try start turning those tables and I say, start turning those tables. Cause I'm still in this right now. The more I'm doing it for myself, mm-hmm. the more the external reality and God is doing it for me.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So now you get these, um, for the lack of a better term, psychic downloads. Yeah. Uh-huh. Intuitiveness. How do you process those? You know, sometimes they, when I get mine, sometimes they're sprinkling and spacklings. Sometimes it's just a voice in my head. Other times it's in a meditation. Other times it's in a dream. How do you put the pieces together so that they make sense?
1: Well, let me tell you what, back when I was more controlling, I couldn't. <laughs> mm-hmm, I get it. But, but now that i let go of it more and just kind of accept it, I just kind of throw it out there. And then I'm shocked sometimes. Sometimes I'm still shocked of how on point it is. I'll give you an example. I had a meeting with a set of parents the day before yesterday. And I told them, listen, um, your child's real intuitive. Are you aware of this? And you know, I know I'm kind of putting risky scenarios out there by telling that to a family. I don't always know how they're going to react, but I couldn't help it because this child was so phenomenal. I was just so intrigued by all of the behavior problems that are supposedly coming up at school. Right. But I was just watching miracles come from this child's abilities and capacities. And he was seeing things in the home that I could also feel and it was neat. And so I just told the dad and the mom, I said, listen, I don't know what this is about, but the whole time your child was here, there was this, this, um, this elephant in the room and I could, the elephant felt like one of an Indian type of deity And I don't know what that means to you guys, but this child was just bringing in this type of very peaceful, overcoming obstacles type of energy, even though his body was very wiggly and ADHD was clearly showing through. And they got very quiet. And the dad explains, yes, I actually know who this is. And I think it was the God, uh, the deity Ganesh, who is the peacemaker. But, you know, how could I have known that? I just threw it out there because what's what I could feel at that moment. Similarly with kids, I never know. Um, uh, the other day I had a child who, you know, out of nowhere, I said, do you speak Mandarin? So sometimes you'll have these hits or you'll have these downloads and you'll just question them until you just kind of say them out into the world randomly. And yeah, I actually go to man- I actually go to Mandarin three times a week and I have since oh. I was tiny. So there's just random things that help that when you get your downloads, you just throw them out into the world. And I feel like it's a way to kind of start validating yourself. Right, exactly. To going, and questioning
0: the situation. Well, you have been such a wealth of information, Janet. I tell you just, you know, so progressive. And that's what we need. We need influencers, impactors, and game changers. The game is not the same brains. It it really isn't. The players are different. The uh, rules of engagement are different the responsibility expectations are different Mm -hmm. and that's what we have to adjust because it's a sign of the times and thank you so much janet for being here on the edge with me and my brains please tell them how to get in contact with you i want them to work with you i want them to go and do more insightful things you know sign up for your programs because you're really you're you're hitting the nail on the head
1: Oh, wonderful. Well, I have two ways you can get in touch with me. I have my platform that is specifically for, for what I do for children, which is called readingskillscenter.com. And then also I recently started mentoring individuals across various fields, individuals who are h- struggling with hesitation and individuals who are looking to up their game as teachers or even homeschool parents and so on. Individuals who are looking to change dynamics within their life and revive their life. And that's by visiting me at janeturibay.com and it's revive life. With Janet Uribe.
0: Revive your life, brains. Get in gear. These little people are going to teach you something. So, you know, and they're (laughs) going to be responsible for us. So we want to make a vested interest in understanding, maybe not changing, you know, they are who they are, not manipulating, not controlling, but allowing them to have uh, the bandwidth to be who they are. Let them be curious. Let them ask the questions and let's work with them to find the answers. Thank you so much, Janet. You are the best. You are the roller skating queen. Thank you for that as well. Uh, Brains, I want you to go in love, like, share, and subscribe. So important. Really? That's how we're going to keep the numbers up. That's how we're going to keep the guests interesting. Uh, And again, longevity. We've been on on this journey almost 20 years on this podcast. Yes, yes. So go in, love, like, share, and subscribe right here on the edge. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, April. All right. Bye, brains.